following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Even if you're offended by what I have to say? Well, that is a four-letter. <laughs> okay, we don't, I'm not sure we want to go there today. But um, that's beyond the scope of this discussion. Um, but I will be talking about a very emotional topic for some. Um, and I want to make it clear, it probably will offend someone in the room, so that's fine. Um, I have no problem with that. And if you're not happy, you, you can scream at me, you can just wait till after the class, okay, if you're offended. Um, but but uh, seriously speaking, this is a very emotional topic, and I will present a view which might not be agreeable to all. So I hope you don't take a personal offense. You can disagree with me. Um, one disclaimer is I am not stating my own views. I'm stating the Torah, what I believe is the Torah's views. So don't blame it on me. Talk to God. If you have an issue, speak to God. Take it up with Him. Um, okay, so and the Torah for some could be offensive. Um, so we're going to see together. You good? Okay. So we're going to discuss, I mean, this is, like I said, uh, what's fascinating is if you just start with the cartoon on the front cover, if you can read that small, I can. I'm getting older, but if you are young enough to read the front, the little print, um, it's, it's, a, it's so true what they're saying is in the last year, um, as you know, what's been going on in our country, um, and not only in our country, in other Western countries, there's been a lot of um, this Horesh. There's handouts. Oh, yeah. You'll get them. Okay, great. So, uh, what's be, unless you've been living under a rock um, and don't have internet, um, you, you know that there's been a massive movement, the Me Too movement, over the last six or seven months in the country. Um, and it started uh, around last summer, I believe, sometime last summer. In August was the beginning. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's been a lot going on. This same class, probably if I would be given it a year ago, as a rabbi, these days you have to be very careful, even when presenting the Torah's view, because um, sometimes the Torah is not so politically correct, and you have to know what to say in public and what not to say in public. So um, this is a class that probably, you know, again, eight, nine months ago, I would, not be, I would never have chosen to give, because some of the things would, would have sound, in that context, a year ago, would have sounded crazy and archaic and, uh, and not making too much sense. But I think after the landslide of everything that's occurred over the last six months or so, since last summer, um, these are things, I already offended someone, you see? <laughs> um, uh, so over the last uh, six months, you, these things maybe will be more pal palatable, I'm hoping, for some of you. So that's why I'm going to talk about that. I mean, that's, if you see on the cover here, that's what in the Doonesbury comic, he's saying, uh, you know, he says, oh, I never mess with women at the parties. The, the boss in the office is saying, I never mess with women. The guy says, what do you mean? You know, you just at the last office party, you, uh, you were hitting on all the, all the women in the office. He says, yeah, but that was in August. That was a, a world ago. The last August, I don't know if you realize, was literally a world ago as far as sexual harassment is concerned, as far as in, all intergender relationship. Um, literally six months ago, the world has changed. Okay, so we're going to address from the, again the Torah perspective on this um, this topic, um, and uh, hopefully we'll shed some light on it. So we're going to start from all the way in the beginning of creation, um, when God created man and woman. So there's a lot of myths. Um, so if any of you have went to Sunday school, in my days we used to call it Jew jail. Um, if you if you've been there. So you need to discard whatever they taught you there. Most of the stuff you learned at Sunday school is probably not um, necessarily a true representation of Judaism. Um, so that's why we're here today. And, and you only would. You should come back every year to many adult education classes where you'll understand the concepts in a better way. So as we'll see, there's a few myths we're going to discuss. But the first thing is we're going to start with creation of man and woman. Um, in the, one of the, the first, as we know, man was created on the sixth day of creation, man and woman, as we'll see. And it says like this, the verse says, and it's your first uh, quote here on the page, page one, inside cover of your handout. It says, God created man, or human, really Adam means human. Happened to be Adam's name was Adam, but it means human. Salmo in his image, Elohim, in the image of God. Barauto, he created him, Zachar Nakeva Baratan. He created him male and female. So the first myth, 
of the spell is we've all learned that man was created first in Sunday school and in day school we learned man was created first and then woman was created. It's very clear in this verse that God created the original human being was, well, I don't know the terms today, there's a lot of new terms which are metrosexual, heterosexual, whatever you want to call it, but this first human being actually was a hermaphrodite, I guess is the correct scientific term, medical term, who had both male and female genitalia. So man was not created first. The first human being was actually a male and a female in one being. I don't want to say the front, which was the front or the back, I don't know. <laughs> which I, whenever I say someone would be upset. So, two sides. One side was male, as the verse says here. If you, you notice in the verse, it says, created um, human, zachar nukeva barautam. It's referring to Adam, the first human in the world. And he created a male and female. That means he had both genitalia, male and female genitalia. So, so uh, that's myth number one. Um, before that, so before we get to that, and discuss that as far as ma males and females the, the very important statement in the beginning which states meaning of that same verse it says God created man in his image okay man again is referring to human not males per se that's just a generic term because in Hebrew everything is there's female um, and there's a feminine and masculine pronunciation of the word so when the Torah uses the word created man it's obviously referring in this, specifically here to male and female Okay, so it says very clearly God created an image. Why is that important? What does it mean in the image of God? I hope God doesn't look like me. And that would be bad, right? So, um, so what does it mean in the image of God? So there's a lot of interpretations, a lot of commentary. We have free will as humans, just as God has choice. We as humans, we're the only creatures, really, that have choice. But um, Rabbi Hirsch, this is a book I recommend reading, not bathroom reading, but good reading. It's called the Hirsch Chumash. Um, Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch was the leader of German Jewry uh, late uh, 1800s, he died in 1920. Um, fascinating, this, this is one volume, this is Genesis, five volumes, unbelievable commentary. Originally written in German, it was recently translated into English, um, and it's amazing commentary. So one of the things he explains on this verse, he says, this phrase that, God, that man was created, that humankind was created in God's image, he says it's repeated here several times, emphasizing that man's physical frame is worthy of God and of man's godly purpose. The Torah thus teaches us to recognize and appreciate the divine dignity of the human body. Indeed, the Torah's purpose is not only to hallow the spirit, but also to hallow the body. So this is a very important concept within all Judaism, which is that we don't view other religions separate the physicality of the body and spirituality. Okay, so they tried, so for example, there's the concept of asceticism, which Judaism really doesn't believe in, to go move to a mountain, move top of a mountain somewhere, go to India, and separate yourself from the physical world. Judaism is on the contrary. We say the concept of Judaism, the basic philosophy of Judaism is to take the physical and elevate it into spiritual. So that's what the, the stress here is God is saying. But the, even the human body is holy. It's created in my image. Don't think the human body is not created in my, in my image. Even the human body is holy. Um, the human body with all its drives and energies, he goes on to say, was created in a form worthy of God. And man's duty is to sanctify his body in keeping with his godly purpose. Okay, that's, that's our duty. Tikkun olam requires us as human beings to use our physical drives including our sexual drives for the sanctity of God. Okay, so then it doesn't only mean procreation, that's, we're not going to get into what, but it means as long as you're, there's no, we don't try to suppress our drives. Okay, we try to control our drives, that's a big part of Judaism, but not suppress them. So and you, part of human nature is we have, we, we're, we're sensual people, we have sexual drives, everyone that's part of being human. So the Torah is saying yeah, that's also holy, those sexual drives are holy too. Nothing undermines the morality more than the erroneous conception that splits the human nefesh, the soul, the human soul. This view recognizes the divine dignity of the spirit and instructs the spirit to elevate itself to higher worlds, but allows the body unbridled license to indulge animal-like in the smut of sensuality. So what he's saying is, meaning in other religions where you separate um, uh, the spiritual from the physical, so you're going to have a problem because that means the physical side, which is the human body, that has nothing to do with God, that has nothing to do with spirituality, and then it becomes... As uh, for those of us who were at Woodstock, not me, but um, it becomes unbridled uh, sexuality, which is not a good thing. Looking back at the 60s, some might still appreciate it, but most of us who got off our, our high um, don't appreciate it anymore. Okay, anyone here at Woodstock? Anybody? Nobody. I, my brother was there. He actually went 
with putting tefillin on people. The problem was if they weren't wearing clothing, it was a whole halachi question. Can you wear tefillin? <laughs> <laughs> Not going there today. Um, so, uh, so to make a long story short, I'm not going to bore you with all this, and I'm going to run out of time. But the, the point he's making here is that um, this is the first concept to understand when it comes to sexual harassment. We view the human body, male or female, as a holy thing. It's not an object. It's not something just for your pleasure. So therefore, that's step number one. Everyone needs to understand that the human body is a holy thing, and our sexual drives are holy, and they have to be used um, in the proper sense um, and properly, whatever, whatever that is. Speak to your local rabbi. Um, so that's step number one to understand as far as this concept is concerned. Now, the, other, the second part of the verse is very important also. Because the second part of the verse is telling us, again, dispelling that myth that we learned in, in, uh, in Jew jail, which is that, that uh, man was created first. On the contrary, the Torah says very clearly, male and female were created at the same time. And Rabbi Hirschberg points out in his commentary here, this was also stressed here. Why was it stressed? And by the way, this is an, it's a fascinating thing. Very relevant, again, not for today's class, to medical ethics, because this was the first case of Siamese twins, technically. It was two different people. Adam and Eve were one in one body. Okay, so you had uh, really this one human who consisted of two people. The question is, do we, do we, this is a big question in ethics, in medical ethics in general, and Jewish medical ethics, do we treat a Siamese twin as two lives, one life, how do we view them if they share different organs? So that's, again, a separate, but from here you see the Torah is calling them, in the plural, them. The Torah uses the language of them, referring to this first Siamese twins in the world. Um, as them, and then of course is the first separation when God will separate Adam from Eve. So, but that's a separate topic for next year. But the point, the point I want to make here is from the second part of the verse, um, which Rabbi Hirsch points out here in his commentary. He says, um, the Torah thus, thus teaches us that both sexes were created directly by God and equally in His image. Okay, the Torah is stressing the fact that Adam and Eve were created at the same time. Because if you say man was created first, you're going to say, oh, men are more important. Okay, which by the way, it's really not true. Man, uh, humans were the last creations in the whole, of all, every single creature. Okay, we were, the animals and other creatures were created before man. It says even the little mosquito was created before man because, uh, so actually the last one is actually better. But in either case, it says male and female are created at the same time to stress this point that they're both equal. The Torah, e there's no, there's equality. We don't treat um, gender someone of either a male or female gender, any different from each other when it comes to equality. And that's the stress here. And he says this is especially emphasized in our verse by the transition from the singular, Oto, he created him, so to speak, to the plural at the end of the verse where it says Otan, he created them. Created in the image of God is one and was created male and female. Only both sexes together embody the concept of Adam in its entirety, humankind. So that's a very important statement. Okay, so that's statement number one. Males and females are created equally. Now we're going to move on down to verse number two in the creation, which again is dispelling the, the myth that we learned in school, which is, we always say, that it says God um, took the rib of Adam and he created Eve. Okay? Right, that's, what, that's what we learned in Sunday school. If you saw the movie, probably that's what they show in the movie too. I haven't seen it. Right, so you've seen the movie of creation. So, so basically... So then, um, that's not the Torah, as you see in the verses here, it clearly was not that. Because again, you had one human being who was male and female on each side. There are actually two opinions to exactly how he separated. But as you'll see, the word in the second verse, if you look on your paper here, it says, Vayipo Hashem Elohim Tardema Ala Adam. So first, by the way, before this, Torah introduces this with talking about um, that Adam was stuck because he didn't have really a mate. I mean, there's not clear, were they able to mate these two this one hermaphrodite being, and did they have asexual um, relations? I don't know. It's not clear um, how exactly it worked. Sounds, it sounds kind of complicated. Um, but the, but what happened was Adam was very lonely because I guess it's hard enough talking to your wife when she's in front of you, when she's in back of you, right? It's, it's, uh, it could be kind of difficult. So he was looking for a mate. And uh, it says that he actually, this is not for children, please cover your children's ears, says he actually tried out all the other species first. You know, every other species was created with a mate, male and female. The only one that wasn't, that was created as one, male and female, but there were one being, was the human. So it says Adam went ahead and tried out everything else, and nothing seemed to work. Nothing, uh, he went on a lot of dates, nothing worked out. Um, and, and then, he, so he came to God, he said, look, why am I, you know, why am I stuck here all alone? 
the only single one out here. Right? Um, so it says, what did God do? God heard Adam, and he says he put him to sleep. That's uh, quote number two here, uh, second paragraph of the sheet. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep upon the man. This is the first case of anesthesia and surgery. And while he slept, he took one of his, so it's translated as ribs, but that's the myth here. It's not, a, it's not really ribs. The word in Hebrew is selah. Selah means, we, you know, it's like a side of beef. So all the ribs, so we call it, the Hebrew word could be used for ribs, but it also means the side of Adam, or that first human, and closed up the flesh at the spot. So he separated them down the middle, and then he formed each one, the back of each one. Okay, that's really what happened. So the whole concept of a rib is a myth, according to most commentaries. And then, that's what the next verse says, he fashioned the rib, or the, again, that side, that he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought it to the man. Okay, so that's step number two here. Um, which is very important to understand the concepts we're going to talk about. Um, because this is the source, we always have to look back to creation, to our source, and how human beings were formed. So the, what, what uh, the commentaries explain here, and specifically, again, uh, the Hirsch commentary here, says like this. He says, um, there's a difference here. At the end of the day, although we're saying men and women are equal, but there's a difference. Uh, what's the difference? Man, or not man, the original human, who remained the man, supposedly, in the, in the narration, he was created from the earth. That's the, hence his name was Adam. Adam is come, comes from the word. Adam comes from the word Adama. Okay, as we know in Hebrew, Hebrew names are very important because they're not just arbitrary names. They actually are the essence of that person. So as uh, the Talmud says, when you name your child, you're actually, is, there's a certain sense of prophecy. Because the name of your child, again, the Hebrew name, is actually the essence of that person. Okay, all Hebrew words, whoops, all Hebrew words are like that. There's no... They're, they're not arbitrary words. It's not like uh, the English language where we just pick a word, whoever uh, created the English language. And that it actually means something. For example, uh, kela, which is dog in Hebrew, is kilev, like a heart, because a dog is all heart. Kulalev, it's all heart. So every Hebrew word, by the way, has, and there's books written on this, every Hebrew word has an essence. It's the essence of that thing that it describes. Because Hebrew was the first language. Obviously, Adam and Eve spoke Hebrew. Um, so here it says... Um, Adam is called Adama. Why? Because Adam was created, the original human was created from the earth. So Adama is very base. Then when God separated uh, Eve, Chava, he separated her into half and he formed her, her other side. So she was, wasn't created technically from the Adama. Um, originally, yes, that first human was, was, but she was taken technically from an existing uh, living being. So he says like this, he says a beautiful thing, he says, Thus unlike the case of man, in the case of woman, the material for her body was not taken from the earth. God took one side of man and formed it into woman. Man, as it were, was, were, was divided into two, and one part was formed into woman. Um, so he says, Our sages, the scripture thus attests to the complete equality of woman, again, stressing that originally they were created as one, but now they were separated, so they're equal. But he says, our sages, our sages describe all the special qualities of woman, her voice, character, temperament, as well as her earlier spiritual and intellectual maturity. As we know, women are usually more, uh, they mature earlier, and they're more intellectual at a, at a younger age, to the way in which she was formed. So it all comes from this source, he says, because she was formed from the already feeling, sensitive, and living body of the first human, as opposed to, the, to Adam, who remained from man. He was from the earth, which is debased. Earth is, is there's, no, uh, there's no feeling in the earth, okay? Says it, so it's an unbelievable thing. He says, as opposed to man, his body was taken from the earth. And he bases this on a medrash and on the words, wording of the verse. So the point where I'm going with this, and this is the part where I'm going to offend some people, um, is, is that uh, since man, according to what we're reading here, was, was created from the earth, in essence, he is a lower form. Um, in that sense, okay? I want to offend, I hope I'm not offending any men. But he is more, he has more animalistic tendencies, more base tendencies, as we know. Studies, uh, there's various studies, but there's the only argue in how often males think about sex. Is it every five to seven seconds or 10 to 15 <laughs> seconds? But everyone agrees men are constantly thinking about sex. Women, not as much. That doesn't mean they're never fantasizing, but men are constantly fantasizing. Okay, that's part of who we are as males, and it comes from the fact of how we were created. So that's a fact according to, it seems like according to the creation, according to the understanding of creation, and men are more debased, and therefore men are, are more sexually aggressive, 
they, they are, that's what's on their mind for a lot of part of the day. As we know, men are not into commitment as much as women. Right? Um, so these are all, these are not, this is not stuff that I'm making up. This is um, scientific studies, medical studies that have been done, psychological studies um, that, that talk about this. Um, so much so, by the way, that the, the Talmud says, and, and I'm going to quote it in a second, that um, men, not only men, I guess, but it says, in essence, there are three sins. There are no, it says there's no one who's righteous who has a sin in the world. Talmud says, every single person, we don't believe in, um, you know, we don't have a Mother Teresa who is a saint, and we don't believe in saints. Rabbis are not saints. Believe it or not, don't tell you, Rabbi, I told you this. But everyone <laughs> sins. Even rabbis uh, sin once in a while. Not so often, but we can lose our job. That's why I always tell people, you know, I can't do this because it's in my contract. I can lose my job if I do. Right, so it's, it's in a certain sense we have it because it's in our contract, so we sin less, maybe, but, but, but there's no such thing as someone who doesn't sin. As a matter of fact, the Talmud says there are three sins that everyone violates daily. Okay? Um, and it says one is, I'm trying to remember, well, one is Lashon um, Arah, which is speaking evil gossip about other people. Always, everyone's talking about everyone else, so that happens daily, daily sin. And uh, the other one, is, uh, I don't remember the third one, but the one that's relevant to us, it says fantasizing. That means when you're walking down the street, a, um, a guy sees a pretty woman, he's, that's what he's thinking about. That's the fact of life. And it says everyone violates this daily. Even though it's a sin, um, in a certain sense, to fantasize. Um, so, but everyone violates this daily. This is part of who we are as human beings. So that's clear. Therefore, now once we establish that fact, assuming we are agreeing to that fact, no one has screaming at me yet. Um, so once we understand who men are, and we're going to get to this, we're not blaming any victims here, but it's just understanding the facts of life. Once we understand who men are, so therefore the Talmud, in quote number two here, goes on to say, um, that there's a, a mitzvah that's not very well known, rabbinical mitzvah, which is you're supposed to teach your child, um, a father's supposed to teach his child a career, okay? Um, that's part of the obligations. The Talmud says three things that a father must teach his child. One is how to swim. Um, gotta, one is Torah, of course. You got to teach him Torah. And the third one is you got to give him a, a something they can make a living with. You got to teach him how to make a living. If you pay your college tuition, hopefully that's enough. And especially if you send them to uh, the amount of tuition not paying, it better be fulfillment of that mitzvah. Um, okay, so so that but that is an obligation on on the parents. Okay, says the Talmud, and this, this is at the end of the tractate Kedushin. It says, but you need to be aware when you're teaching your son, at least in the context of a son. In those days, um, most women did not work out of the home. Okay, so the, the context there, this was written almost 2,000 years ago, was teaching your son a career. So it says anyone whose business is with women. Um, and we'll, read, we'll, we'll get back to that one, but it says a person should not teach a son a trade that caters to women. One should always teach a son a clean and easy trade. And what does that mean? That means if you're if you're going to open a, you know, you're going to teach your son how to, um, I don't know, let's pick a career, a career that deals with, let's say, lingerie, to sell lingerie, and he's going to be uh, running a lingerie store, that's not, you're putting him in a, in a compromising situation. Right? You're, you're setting up your son for failure, at least in morality, to a certain extent. Because if he's going to be sitting there and, and trying on helping the women try on their lingerie, there's probably, I mean, it might make some money. It's a good thing. But you're placing him in a compromising situation. Okay, and that's what Tom is saying. When you teach your son a career, and it, and it goes through various careers, um, what's a good career, what's not, um, is a, uh, we're not going to get into that now. Um, but the point is, it's one thing, just advice. It's not telling you it's prohibited, but saying advice. Don't teach your son a career that specifically deals with women because he's going to be in compromising situations and it's not going to be good for his marriage or his relationship. Yes? Um, what about the women who need to patronize these businesses? Wouldn't it just assure them that the people who are running them are less moral than the people getting this advice? Um, maybe to an extent. Listen, that might be. Do you, are you in the lingerie business? I'm, I'm not, oh, okay. as it happens. Okay. No, but I'm saying it's not. Yes. To a certain extent, yes. If you're, if a, and that's what we're going to get to. If a person, um, we're talking about the males now, not the females. The male's placing himself knowingly in a compromising situation that, in a certain sense, we're saying that's a problem. He shouldn't be placing himself in the career. Listen, if he has no choice, he got to pay the more. Certain things. It's, again, it's not prohibiting it. It's just saying practical advice. Don't put yourself in that compromising situation. 
Yeah. And obviously not all men would be in a compromising situation selling lingerie to women. Again, True. Obviously would not. So okay. does the Torah say anything about that? Um, no, Torah doesn't talk about um, selling lingerie. That's my example. But, but the point, the point being, everyone, everyone, uh, everyone is subject to their own company. Everyone a solution to this. That might be. Uh, yeah, that could be. We're not. We're not discussing. Uh, yeah, we're not discussing lingerie, selling lingerie. Today. That's not the topic. So that might be a solution if you if for that. But the point being is. That, and I just took that as an example. I mean, it could be, there's many other situations where, the, and one of them is probably being a movie director these days, where you have a casting couch, where that is a compromised situation. To have a guy himself with, uh, in, with a casting couch, as we see, is not a good career for, for at least a nice Jewish man. Okay, so, so that's, that's where we're getting to. Um, so that's, that's, again, it's just advice. The Talmud doesn't say it's prohibited to, to go into those fields, saying, Practically speaking, it's not a, it's not advisable because you would end up with problems. Yes. Would he still have a problem if he owned the store but hired female employees? Yeah, that doesn't say you can't own it. Listen, you, you want to buy stocks in uh, lingerie, but okay. that's fine. Yeah. Um, again, it's, again, I'm just I want to repeat. It's not prohibited. It's just saying it's not advisable. So that's number one. Um, now let's read on. So this is the next paragraph. Number three is Maimonides. Um, a quote from Maimonides. Maimonides says a fascinating thing, which, as you see, and one of the beauties that I find as a rabbi, that when I teach, I learn things that I've never learned before. Um, but it's also the beauty of Torah is you find there's nothing new in this world. That's what I've discovered. Um, as, as King Solomon says in somewhere, in Kohelet, I think, that uh, everything's in this book. If you got the book of the Torah, there's every topic is included in there, as we see, including sexual harassment. Um, yesterday I gave a class on gun control. It's all in the Torah. Everything's there. So there's no topic that, that we think, oh, it's a new debate, NRA, and a society, who's responsible. Everything's in the Torah, which is, I find amazing. So this here also, Maimonides says an amazing thing. He's written this. Maimonides wrote this around uh, approximately 700 years ago. He says like this. He says, our sages said, a person's soul desires and craves theft and forbidden sexual relations. A person's soul, meaning not soul desires, but your uh, as in your only desires, but your soul, meaning your cravings, your desires, um, this is the standard human nature. You'll never find a community that does not have some people who are promiscuous regarding forbidden relationships and prohibited sexual conduct. Moreover, our sages said, most people trespass with regard to theft. You know, just, you know you people, you know, you change your taxes, you cheat a little, you know, you might uh, not report this, not report a gift you got, whatever it is. Um, a minority with regard to forbidden sexual conduct, and all with regard to the shade of undesirable gossip. So you mentioned before, speaking gossip, no one can control them. Okay? Um, therefore, says Maimonides, it is proper for a person to subjugate his natural inclination with regard to this matter, and train himself in extra holiness, pure thought, and proper character traits, so that he will be guarded against them. And he says, what is the best way, says Maimonides, he should be very careful with regard, that music was supposed to come in at this point is the punchline. Perfect timing. So, uh, no, it's good. It's a nice background. You should be very careful with regard to entering into privacy with a woman, for this is a great cause of transgression. Says Maimonides, an unbelievable thing. There's a concept, and this is what we're getting to, called in, in Jewish law, called the laws of Yichud, which again is something I never would have said and spoke about in public. Um, it's something that sounds crazy and archaic, but it's in the code of Jewish law, which is there's a prohibition in halacha, in Jewish law, of two people of the opposite gender to be secluded in a locked room together. Okay, this is an explicit law, and it's, some say it's even biblical. The question is what the source is, but for two people of the opposite gender to be secluded in a room, in a private place, now as we'll see, not only a room, is prohibited according to Jewish law. Now, it, again, if I would have told you this a year ago, you would have said, that's, that's ridiculous. You can never, what do you do at work? What do you do? Anytime you go to someone's house, it's a problem. Your, your, your maid is over, right? But looking at this in the light, and I went through, I can't say every case of sexual harassment, but if you look through a majority, I would say, of Harvey Weinstein's cases, at least the ones we know of, if those, the two people involved, or even the one person, a woman in that case involved, would have observed these laws of yichud, what we call the laws of seclusion, nothing would have happened. Because almost every case of Harvey Weinstein was a case where the woman um, had a meeting downstairs in the lobby of the hotel. He was supposed to meet her there, and his ploy was he either have a secretary or, or he would call her up and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm stuck upstairs. I couldn't make it downstairs. Why don't you come up to, to my hotel room? Okay, which is prohibited in Jewish law. 
to enter, to be secluded in a room of someone of the opposite gender. Obviously not if it's your spouse, then, then it's permitted, by the way. Just. And it makes her responsible for his bad action. No, God forbid, it's not true, God forbid. We're gonna, so I'm explain that, it's a good point, we're gonna get to it. Yeah, I'm sorry to offend people, it's good. That's fine. I wanna, I wanna, you know, no one's, everyone's so quiet here, I'm not offending. <laughs> Come on. Um, so the, the point is, we'll get, to, it's a valid point, we'll get there. I just want to describe the, so the scenario, the point is, if people would observe these laws, then most of that could prevent it. Same thing with, uh, with Matt Lauer, I don't know if you read, his story was that he had a button under his desk um, that would close the door and lock it. Any woman who came in who looked, you know, looked pretty, and he, he liked, that's what he would do. He'd press the button under his desk, and the door would close automatically and lock. So no one else can come in, so they're secluded. I know this is real. I mean, it sounds crazy, but this is true. Um, it was on TMZ. It must be true. To be fair, the um, woman did not know that going well, into the room. The woman did not know that. Right. Like, yes, like but the point, not, yes, but like the point is... She thought she was like, everything's fine. We're in an office. Oh, 100%. Coming out, and then yes. thwarted with Yichud later. Oh, 100%. But the point is, so now, but let's say a person who would know the laws and observe it, so the second that door closes, she would say, sorry, I can't be secluded here in the room with you. That's what would happen. I've been in that situation many times. Not with Matt Lauer. Uh, with others. Um, so, so the point being is, so, so again, I'm, I'm just, again, it sounds archaic, these laws, but this, if you think of it in the context of what's going on, there's no question this could have prevented it. I'll just tell you a, a great story, and um, we'll, get, we'll get back to your point in a second. My wife, many years ago, we, uh, there was a commercial, huge commercial bakery here, owned by a Jewish family, and they invited us to see their, they just built this new factory, just to put it in context, this, the, the freezer was six stories high. It's uh, selling to, you know, across the country to, to private labeling for Sam's Club and for Walmart. Whatever the case is, so we went to visit the factory. Uh, the partner of the Jewish fellow was a former Rockets uh, player. I don't remember his name. It's a long time ago. I'm not into basketball. So uh, he, when we came in, he um, and the owner, the, the partner introduced us to this Rockets player, so he stuck out his hand to shake hands with my wife. Wife being an Orthodox woman, she says, sorry, you know, I don't shake, she said politely. By the way, she only says that to non-Jews because Jews get offended, of course. The Jews get offended if she says that, or if I say that, so to non-Jews, they never get offended. They're fine. <laughs> so anyway, so he, so he, so he pulled back his hand, he said, wow, that's, that's amazing, I want to hear more about this. You don't shake hands with a member of the opposite gender. So he said, when you, when you finish the tour, come back into my office. So he went to his office, and he tells this to my wife, this player. He says, if, if they would institute this law in the NBA of guys not shaking hands, he says, do you know how many marriages could have been saved just by having this law of, of a NBA player not shaking a fan's hand? He says, that's how it all starts. It starts with a handshake of a fan, pretty young girl, and then the next thing, they're up in, in the player's hotel room. So that, this is what his line is. It's an anecdotal story. But really, this is what we're talking about. Meaning, again, if you observe these laws, we're not saying, we're not blaming the victim, God forbid. And we'll talk about that in a second. Mayim Bialik's um, op-ed, which she was, that's what she was accused of. Uh, but one second. Um, the point is, what we're saying is, it's, it's for males and females. The law is actually, it's two things. It's really to protect the male from doing the wrong thing. As we're saying, males are not exactly, can't trust males to a certain extent, is what we're saying. They're very debased. This is human nature, and, and it ends up protecting the woman. Okay, well, so we're not blaming the victim, God forbid. What we're saying is, for everyone, males and females can't be, should not um, be secluded in a private place. Yes? So, how far, and, and here I was offended not by you, but <laughs> uh, how far do we take it in order to protect the male. male. The Jewish male or any, any male. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I teach at a Jewish school and we got an invitation for our students to watch a holiday play uh, put up by a group of um, women players. But they had the stipulations that students can watch it only up to um, I think it was up to third grade, if I'm not mistaken, yes. Um, and after that, only girls can watch it. Um, so... Why was that? Because female because singing? They were only, they were women. And they said that they 
women in the play. Was it a musical? Was it a musical? Was it a musical? Perhaps. Yeah, so that's a whole different issue. We're not going there, but, but that's a different question. That we, again, we're talking specifically about being secluded together because that's for adults. That can lead to certain things, not for children. Children is uh, a well. There are children. I mean, to my mind, what can be wrong if? Yeah. So again, so that's a different topic as far as. Yeah, I think that might be just exposure. I can't speak for that case. I don't know. You know what? What was what the play was about? Listen, there are certain plays I wouldn't want uh, my... I, I would be scared to watch myself. <laughs> so, so yeah. I, but we'll talk about it. So at the beginning, you know, you said that you're presenting not necessarily your opinion, just like what the Torah says, and mm -hmm. like what Yehud is to us, right? But the way that you're framing it is certain things could have been avoided had Yehud been followed. Yes. Right? Is yes. that is that yes. the perspective that yes. you're coming from? Yes. Okay. I guess... Um, you're offended. I'm not offended. I just okay. think that it's like yeah. completely illogical, implausible, unrealistic, and doesn't actually address the root of sexual harassment in today's society. If you are a woman walking down the street and a guy shouts at you, nice ass, or why don't you smile, or the hundreds of other things that like every single woman has dealt with in her life, that's not a right? It's like yes. a... It's a yes, it's right? A so how does Yehud... Yes. Like, like telling so, every man, be a good man. Oh, 100%. That is so we'll get not so. a solution because every man is not a good man. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm you're saying based on what I said, or you're saying I'm that? Saying be a good man. This is just saying, oh, you can be a bad man. No, so God forbid. Man. So, those are all <laughs> yeah, good points. Very valid points. Well taken. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So, again, so maybe the word sexual harassment was the wrong title for this class in the sense of it's more than, meaning, there, as we know, there are different categories of. Sexual harassment. There's actual, you know, men in the workplace who are literally trying to score, you know, score the points, get the woman into his hotel room. That's very different than just whistling at someone down the street. 100%. So I wasn't really addressing that, and that's a very valid. Oh, but it's, it's it's the same, you know, like it's the same. Yes, it's treating women as objects. It's treating, yes, it's treating women as objects. 100%. That's where I started with the first statement, which is that Torah says very clearly, everyone, the human body is created in the image of God tell you that it's not to not treat them as objects. Now our job as men and women, as humans, is to overcome, and I didn't say this before, it's not on the sheet, so I forgot to say it, but there is a, another verse in, in Genesis which says very clearly, um, the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Okay? That's what, the, that's what the Torah says also in the creation, meaning men are created, and women in a certain sense too. Our job is to overcome these inclinations. So clearly the Torah addresses that by saying if you refine yourself. Our, our job is to refine ourselves as human beings. We're created not in a great spot. That's also the mitzvah, the whole mitzvah of circumcision. And it's specifically um, done on the male organ. Why? It says because that's the organ that needs the most refinement in the sense of morality. Because again, leading back to this concept. So, of course our job, and I, and I missed that part to a certain extent, and it's very important, which is our job as human is to refine ourselves, male and female. Males need more refinement than females. Um, that's what the Torah seems to be implying, in this area at least. Okay, so, so, but that is our job. And that includes all areas of, of treating women as objects, whether it's whistling at them or whatever it may be. But, I, but in, as far as these laws of Yichud is, what I'm saying is almost every single case that's in the news, uh, unfortunately the case when they whistle at a woman doesn't make the news, because that's part of everyday life, it seems like for women, which is sad. Sad statement of our society, but you're right. So we're addressing the the aspect of the, the, the cases in the news where um, things, I believe, if these laws would have been observed, could have been prevented. We're not, listen, I'm, I, I don't tend to say we're going to solve the world's problems, and we have to be realistic. Men will be men, unfortunately, and it's sad. But the Torah saying is we have a job as, as men to work and to refine ourselves in this area, which includes the whole scope of issues. I don't know if I helped you or... Or well, no, I, I mean, I have a lot to okay. compare was, was, she, was, she was first. I'm okay. listening to what you're saying, and I, I know, well, don't put yourself somewhere where something can happen, and that always makes sense, you know, like, don't go jogging at night, stuff in the park, you know, that kind of yes. thing. <laughs> but, as far as the Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, you know, our political, you know, Politicians. people out there, Everyone knew it was going on, that you were not always alone with this person. So going to your point where if you're not alone, it won't happen. 
a lot of these women were not alone. They were on movie sets, they were in offices. Oh, you're right. So again. So they were not alone, and everyone knew about it, and it went on, and it was yes. there. It was, I forget, the culture of that industry. Yes. No, that's why, so again, you shouldn't. So that's true. That is, that's why I said don't teach uh, your, your son. Make sure your son does not become a movie director. That's true. But, but the point is like this, that, that um, again, if someone's a sexual predator, the Torah is not going to help them. We're talking about healthy, normal healthy, what I'm saying is... Society of sexual predators. So again, well, let's not lump all males. Even I'm not saying that all males are sexual predators. No, but like, the patriarchal nature of our society, we yes. are a rape culture, you know? Like, I mean, it's, it's not a one individual issue following a lot. It's broader than that. So oh, how 100%. Again, so that's, I, th I believe what the Torah is telling you is our job as humans as to tikkun olam. Our nature is, at least so maybe male the males. The problem is beginning with this where the prohibitions are making assumptions about men and women that are... So on the contrary, in, in sir. A, like, I mean, they're growing out of a society, right? So, I mean, so like, let me assume. So, this, you, if, so again, if you believe the Torah is just, uh, you know, someone wrote it, some point in history, I'm, I'm assuming as an Orthodox rabbi, traditional rabbi, which is the Torah is written by God. So God understands human nature. He, he, write, he wrote the manual. This is God's manual. He invented, he created us. So therefore, this is the fact of life. Again, like we're saying, human studies show that men think like men think of sex every 15 seconds. That's study. So no, but I'm saying, but is it because... So right, the question is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't think every man read the Torah and said, oh, now I can think about sex every 15 seconds. It, this is human nature. I, I think in every cultural society, and we can disagree about that. There's nothing wrong. Um, but again, so this is how we're created with a purpose. God, it's not a negative view of man. On the contrary, it's a, we're, what we're saying is, it's an unvarnished view of man. This is the facts of man. This is the way again traditional Judaism is viewed. It's not a negative view. Our job is to use all our resources in all areas, not just in sexual morality, in all areas of morality, and to refine ourselves as human beings, males and females. Again, males might have more work in one area, and females might have work in a different, you know. That, that's really what it's about. So it's not a negative view of humans, it's a unvarnished view, which is, this is the fact of who they are. And again, our job, not the victim, it's, it's the male's job to refine himself in these areas, okay? This is just a traditional view, you, you might have different theories. Next year, next year, no problem. We can, we can disagree. Yes. Sorry. So to what extent, though, would if you bet the Yitzhara, if we're saying men have the Yitzhara, women have the Yitzhara as well, that it's then policing somebody else's body like in terms of some of the modesty laws and things like that, where it's not, it's that some of the laws are put in place in order to protect men from having to have sexual thoughts on a regular basis, which I think kind of was what Naomi was saying about potentially with the play, but that we don't want to put men in the situation of so I don't know if that's really true. I mean, people say that about some of the Jewish, some of the laws. I'm not sure that's. I, I've never seen that. Now, let's say the laws of smut you're referring to, which is uh, and and by the way, it's for men and women. It's not it goes both ways. I've never seen anyone say that's a woman should do it because it entices men to do X. It's it's uh, it has to do with uh, the aspects of of how we should be, uh, what our personalities are. Smut is a whole different topic. But it is a valid point you're making. Again, we're not. We and, and well, let's on that note, actually, on your, and we'll come back to you in a second. If you turn to the back here, so there's a op-ed piece, or part of it's just actually a description. I don't think it's the actual op-ed. I'd be quoting her um, of Miriam Bialik, who's a she claims she's an observant Jew, um, who is an actress, as we know, and she wrote after um, Harvey Weinstein in the beginning. I think this was sometime in October. I don't know when she wrote this in the New York Times. She wrote an op-ed piece. And she was lambasted for it. One of the things she says is addressing your point here, which is, which is she dressed, she knew going into the industry that these are, this is, as someone mentioned before, this is the fact of the movie industry. People, women are treated as objects. And therefore knowing that, she dressed a certain way and took special precautions, she writes herself, um, about this because no, knowing the fact. So again, the next, of course, she was totally um, everyone was screaming at her and they, you know, people wrote subsequent articles and it has to do with this concept of saying, meaning, again, so she defended herself saying, I'm not blaming the victim, I'm not saying, you know, that there is no, we're not solving the whole problem by taking precautions as someone else wrote, you know, just because I dress a certain way doesn't mean we all get harassed, actually, she makes your point, 
bottom of the article there, I think they make your point. Meaning all women get harassed no matter how they dress. So it's, yeah, we're not claiming this will solve all the problems of the world, and no woman will ever be harassed again. But knowing the facts, and in this case, she knowing, understanding, she was taught by her mother, the movie industry has bad players in it. And this is a fact of life. If you're going to go into that industry, you need to be aware of these facts going in and therefore take precautions. That's really what we're saying here. We're saying that uh, this is man's essential nature. And you might disagree with that, but this is man's essential nature. Therefore, knowing that males and females need to do certain things to make sure we don't put ourselves in compromising situations. Sorry, she was, she was waiting all the time. How would you compare this with Muslim wearing hajib? Ooh, I don't like uh, you know, I don't want to offend any Muslims in the room, and, uh, so I'm not going to go there. But that's a whole different story. Um, that's uh, again. That's a that's a different issue. It's mute and it's not beyond the scope of today's discussion. <laughs> Sorry. If you want to, we could talk about it after class. And there is. I'm not saying it's unrelated. It is somewhat related. Uh, pragmatically, I'm trying hard to work within this framing. Which <laughs> no, it's not easy. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm doing my best. Okay. As a human being. Thank you for that. Um, the question is pragmatic. To like you know, people would have stopped some of these things from happening if it's people. Not all that. For example, that there is no sexual harassment in communities that do observe no, food. And, so and there is, as no, the giant, example, the giant mess in DC would show. 100 percent That like yes. even doing this, which places a great deal of burden on a lot of well-meaning people, um, does not prevent those things from happening, but it does make it much harder to talk about. Yeah, exactly. No, I'll tell you. So, so it's a very valid point you're making. I'm not saying that if someone's religious, they can never ha have a case of sexual harassment. They'll never be a predator. They'll never be that. Of course, that's not true, as I mentioned before. Rabbi sin. Everybody sins. Um, we're, not, we're talking about the overall society in general. Things could have been prevented. I think we all agree um, that many of the cases of Harvey Weinstein, if they observed the laws of Yichud. Again, Harvey Weinstein was a predator. I don't think if someone is out to get someone, of course, they're gonna, they're, they don't care about these laws. Obviously. Whether they call themselves religious or whether they're not. Frankly, all would have done is shifted it to the next woman who didn't. Okay, okay. Like, so 100%. You know, we're not stop a solving the problem. We're not solving, like, we're not solving the. There's always this. My mommy says in every generation, there are going to be sexual predators. He says that explicitly in number three on the sheet. So we're not solving, we're not trying to say, if you do this, there'll never be any case of sexual harassment in society. What we're saying is, in a certain sense, it makes it harder if you don't have members of the opposite gender secluding themselves in a private place, it's going to be much harder to get to, for that sexual predator for things to happen. That's what we're saying. Of course, if someone wants to do something, he's going to end up doing it. So we're not, we're not answering for, we're not, you're right, we're not solving the world's problems. I'm just presenting the Torah's view understands, again, the nature of man and therefore says this will help prevent some of the cases. Of course it's not going to prevent. And there are many cases in the religious community of sexual harassment and predators too, 100%. Uh, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Oh, one thing I'd point out, though, is that it feels like we can't have this conversation without talking about gender equality. And That's why I started with it's my impression, at least, is a lot of this was written back when women, their role, role was, you know, to raise a family and take care of the kitchen, you know, cook and clean and have the domestic duties, and men ran society. They were leaders of company, they did the professions, they ran, you know, their politicians, and, yes. and women just sat at home. So this is fine for women that just say, hey, let's have play dates, and I run the house, and that's it. But in today's society, where we're trying to drive gender equality and have women have just as important of a role or the same kinds of roles as men and be able to have strong professions and run meetings and you know. I hear you loud and clear. So you can't, so you can't apply those rules anymore. So I'm not sure. Like First of all, I don't want to bring up you know, the Trump administration, but I don't know if you know, Mike Pence has a, had a rule yes. where he does not go for lunch with a woman, mm -hmm. uh, with yes. a female. Yes. yes. Very, very okay. So, so now when, when way back when during the campaign, the Washington Post wrote a whole article saying that well, how can we have such a guy as vice president? It's disgusting. Now, looking back, I'm not sure that's well, such a bad rule. And my wife, I, I, by the way, have that rule. I will not meet a woman for coffee unless there's, she comes with a friend or something like that, even in a public setting. Because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous situation, as, as I view. But Meaning, look at that administration. And I don't, how few women are represented in that administration. Hey, that's a I different mean, issue. I'm not, I'm not saying Mike Pence is a righteous person. I'm not saying you should, you should become your rabbi. I'm just, well, I want to finish my point. My point is, looking back, that rule is not, it's not as crazy. When it, Initially, it sounded nuts. Looking back now, I'm not sure it's so crazy. If most, many husbands would do that, I think a lot of 
cases of adultery could, could be prevented. Now, does that mean we should? Now, practically speaking, I, I hear what you're saying. Times clearly have changed, and a woman is in a different place in society. But I know many women who are CEOs of organizations who do keep these laws, and they have their door open. I mean, even physicians will tell you, I give classes to physicians, every physician knows, even gynecologists, they have to keep their door open when they're, you know, to a certain extent, or they have another nurse in the room when they're examining a female patient, if they're a male uh, gynecologist. For this reason, same reason, they don't want to, it's also, you know, worried about lawsuits, etc. But, but there's no question, these, even in today's society, this works. Um, I know many people who, well, listen, I can tell you practically, I, I get, I have to keep these rules, as I said, it's in my contract, a rabbi, so, you know, I have a cleaning lady come to my house, I have to leave my front door open. Um, to some extent, you know, I, I put like something in front of the front door, but the lock is open, so sort of a jar drop. This is and it, part of my life. I do this every Tuesday if I'm home and she's there. This is what happens. It's not, it's, it sounds, yes, it's as someone mentioned, it's a burden. There's no question, it's a burden. But the, the Torah understands, again, the nature of the beast, and therefore it's telling you, if you keep these laws, you're going to prevent many cases. Again, it's not going to solve all problems. If someone is a predator, the door can be open and they can be a predator. But you, not to put yourself in compromising situations. So, yeah. Is there any uh, cases of sexual harassment in the Tanakh? And like, any cases? So, yes, yeah, so I actually have a whole list. I have actually, I didn't give this, I didn't put this on the handout, but I have a list there if anyone wants of Me Too's in Tanakh. There's approximately 15 cases of hashtag Me Too's that in, in Tanakh. So, yes, um, there's a lot of cases of harassment and the Torah. Well, so, uh, yeah, I think I'm past my time. Oh, what nice. 120. So, yeah, I'm over. But uh, the point is, if you look here, we didn't get to some of the... I put down some of the laws of Yichud. They are extensive. Um, again, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Um, have a great day. Thank you.